And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back with another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host, Matt Watson, and our guest today is Robert Lahan from Ferret. We're going to talk today about... AI and machine learning and risk and security and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, before we get started, I want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by FullScale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. Rob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm hoping that um, you're an expert at AI and machine learning and uh, you can teach me a few things about it today. Um, could you start out by giving us a little bit of uh, your background and um, what your company Ferret AI does? Sure. I won't go back too far, but I'll guess I'm probably one of the only people you'll ever have on your show that uh, came from Vermont, in the mountains of Vermont, because there isn't Vermont, any real, that's a first. real cities. <laughs> it's always a first. I don't know how I got to Silicon Valley from Vermont. It was a circuitous route. How many people uh, live in Vermont? I don't know, a couple million. I mean, it's small. It's a small, small state. I haven't been back in 20 years. Uh, but that's I have where been I to Rhode from. Island before, and I think I flew out of the airport out of Vermont or something because it was it was easier to fly from, like, if you were in Boston to go to the airport in Vermont or something. Is that a story? Yeah, probably there were chickens in the overhead. But uh, and <laughs> but it felt weird when I went through Rhode Island, and I'm like, this is a state, and it was yeah. <laughs> well, Vermont's even worse, but I yeah. actually think it's a great place to you know the values and everything, great place to grow up. I bet some of the other options in the country today. Um, so I was supposed to go to law school, um, but I grew up unfortunately in a family that couldn't afford to send me to law school, so I had to make money really quickly. So um, talking about entrepreneurship, I had to start quick. My dad actually died when I was 15, and so I, I, I created businesses when I was young. And actually, I, I, within six months, I was making more than my dad was making the job he was in 17 years. So uh, it was kind of baptismal by fire. I didn't have a choice but to become an entrepreneur, so it's been in my blood since I was a, a kid. Um, so what I did was I got a, I got a, um, a one-year uh, uh, reprieve so I could go make money and pay the bill. The first time I didn't get... I didn't get scholarships to pay for school, um, trying to get in law school. So I showed up at a software company called Sybase, who was taking on Oracle, if you remember yeah. those days. Yep. And I went into telesales and I learned really, really quickly how to, how to make some money. Actually, within a year, I was number two in the entire company worldwide. Wow. Um, and I was 20, you know, 22 years old. Um, they didn't want to hire me, actually, and I chased the CEO out into the cold of night when he's walking out to his car after they unceremoniously told me they were going to pass on me. He thought I was going to bash him. <laughs> it's important why I tell you about this because it comes in later in the story. And I ran up to him, and he kind of cowered like I was going to hit him. And I said, you're making the biggest mistake of your life if you don't hire me. And I was crying. <laughs> and uh, I got in my car and went home. Um, I got a call the next morning, and, and they hired me. 
and of course I, I did quite well. Uh, within, you know, within a year I was living in a penthouse and driving a Harley and a Mustang, you know, 1969 Mustang convertible in San Francisco. And I had money that I never knew even existed. Cause I, like I said, I grew up in a, uh, you know, working class blue collar family. So they went public within three years and I had stock. I didn't even ask for wow. stock. Um, so I did quite well. I was very lucky in the, the CEO um, of the unit that they bought called SQL Solutions took me under his name. His name is Bob DeBoli, actually. And uh, I owe my entire fortune, uh, fortunate career to that man. He's the one I ran up to in the parking lot. Um, so I left one day and decided to go to San Francisco, loaded my car and took off, quit. They wished me, you know, good luck. And I went to San Francisco. I got a job in a in a, in a company called Scopus, which was the first CRM system that ever existed. Um, and we were taking on Siebel. The first one ever? First CRM system. Yeah, we actually, we, what? we yeah, Scopus. We took on Siebel, which wasn't even Siebel at the time. Wow. And yeah, so I was employee number eight, got really lucky. And, and by the way, one of the top things you could hope for to not fail is a little bit of luck and all the hard work and doing the right thing. And I was lucky. I ended up in the right place and didn't screw it up. Same thing, went right up to the top of the sales organization, closed some of the biggest deals in the world in CRM at that time. And I'm still in my 20s. Um, so I started upgrading my places I lived and my cars and my motorcycles, <laughs> all the things I wanted because life was so good. Living in San Francisco in your 20s and killing it. And it's you know just really hard work and learning how to sell. I obviously never went back to law school. Uh, they went public top 18 or top 20 IPOs of the year, just like Sybase, you know, I mean, out of my twenties yet. Um, and I decided that I was tired making money for everyone else. And there I was go. doing well, but I, I decided, I went back to my days of, you know, my car washing business and mowing lawns when I was a kid and making a lot of money doing that for a kid. Um, and I, I got asked to run a company out of the UK it was called Micronews. Um, when I say run it, I was running sales and operations. Started the U.S. And uh, same thing. Within a year, no customers went to uh, uh, within 14 months. We IPO'd with DMG and it was the largest UK-based tech IPO ever. So I did my first road show. I'm still in my 20s. I did my first road show, um, you know, Wall Street, getting investors, selling stock, all of that. It was baptismal by fire. My whole life up till 30 was baptismal by fire. Mm. So I, as soon as we sold, uh, as soon as we went public, that's when I decided I was going to, I went back to the CRM model um, and decided that CRM belonged on the internet and that customers should be able to be served everywhere. There was no way to talk to anybody back then other than phone. Um, uh, the, you know, the CRM systems didn't have real, you know, like anything like that on the internet or chat or anything it was just coming around. So we built one of the first cloud-based uh, applications ever. So we had to build the tools to build the tools to build the app because they didn't exist. And what year was that? That was uh, 1997. Okay. Um, and so I raised, you know, my first money, you know, there was four of us that founded the company and I was doing most of the presenting to the VCs because I had, I had done it before. And we raised 55 million and the cut to the end of that story, that company was called Octane Software. Um, we sold that company for a record 3.2 billion. There was no such thing as a unicorn. 
They didn't have a name for us. We broke all the records. There was, we broke all the records, and to this day, I'm pretty sure, from a timing perspective, we were you know, kind of the ridiculously largest one for the amount of revenue we had, the amount of money we raised, and $3.2 billion price tag. So uh, who we were, acquired that? What happened to that today? Epiphany. And Epiphany got acquired. Um, they were a $9 billion company doing online marketing when it first came out. So they bought us to basically make sure that we didn't take over their market and, you know, we were basically going to converge and compete. So, um, and we were replacing, you know, the Siebel's and the Scopuses and the IBM's and the, and the Oracle's with an internet-based CRM system. Um, so I got very, very fortunate to not screw it up and be in the right place, you know, at the right time and not, not screw it up. And um, that, that's how I got started. That's, that's, that was my baptismal of fire being an entrepreneur the first, first few years. Well, that's amazing, so then, man. You, you've done a lot of stuff. I did a lot of stuff by the time I was 30. And you still look like a young man. <laughs> no, I'm not young at all. Um, <laughs> and the reason I'm doing Scope is just to fast forward. Oh, and then uh, after that, my favorite company that I ever started was Dextera. And Dextera was the first application, mobile cloud-based application in the market. So the first time someone downloaded an app, you know, like a business, it was B2B, downloaded an app. It was from Vodafone and they have the equivalent, if you will, of, you know, the Apple store and the, and they down, it was basically sales and support applications for mobile field people. And uh, that was us. We had the first server in a telco environment. We downloaded an app on a phone. We worked with Microsoft and HP, all those. Um, Intel was on the board, Microsoft, uh, uh, Motorola. I uh, grew that even faster than Octane, and um, but being the being not in the right place at the right time, we raised twice as much money. But the problem: the world crashed in two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. So we sold for pennies on the dollar, like everyone it, else did at the time. And it didn't crash for everybody, though. No, not for everyone. But it's my all company, timing, right? My company took off then. It helped that. That's the thing with those those events, right? It, it's yeah. it sucked for you. It was great for me. Yeah, well, it was all timing because we were just yeah. finishing up a round and we were raising yeah. another round. And of course, all the shutters of all the all the windows and doors got locked for the VCs. And yep. so our VCs got you know, scared, didn't want to dump more money in. Even though we were killing it, killing it, we owned that market uh, worldwide. We were all over the place. Uh, so they decided to sell it and uh, they sold it. I didn't want to sell it. Um, but uh, another example of better company, wrong timing. Um, and that, that company, you know, it had offers for between 400 and 600 million first couple of years. So we got very, very fortunate, so, but then bad timing. So fast forward to today yeah. and with what you're doing with Ferret, what, what gave you the idea to start uh, Ferret? And, you know, what was the, you know, primary uh, problem you were trying to solve? Yep, yep. Well, I didn't think I'd be running. I didn't think I'd be a CEO of a startup again. Um, I've been investors and been on the board and helped run some companies, but only for the intent of handing them off to others. So I was always a very active little, you know, like seed investor with uh, the money that I made in there. But before, before that, more interesting to me is I went, I, I got the time to take a step back from technology and I went and did some things I love. I started a ski resort with some buddies up in, uh, Nelson Breers, Columbia. If you ever heard of bald face, um, Lodge up, up there. It's now it's number one, like all the Red Bull, it all goes on up there. It's number one backcountry snowboarding resort in the country. Well, in North America now. 
Um, that was a really fun project. I went and bought a, a winery and created a label and won a worldwide award. And that was fun. Got to drive a tractor for a while. Then came home and started doing these investments. Well, I got, this is about how fair it started. I was raising money and I was in a very, very large financial institution that everybody knows the name of, and I won't name it, at one financial center in New York. And I was introduced to an investor who decided to invest $8 million into our company, that I was uh, a founder, but I wasn't running. I just wanted to hand it off to have someone else running, but I was raising the money. Um, that investor was new to investing and had this, I'm going to call it a scam, where he would basically write notes to the company for bridges after the first round and convince them to not take money and then let the note run out and grab the IP and kick everybody out and own the whole thing. Okay. And he did it to three companies. And of course, this very large financial institution that called me and said, hey, we had no way to know this was going on. We don't know. This is in New York. These things are going on in other parts of the country, West Coast and Southern US. And um, my, so my next investment, so you know, I put my tail between my legs. We lost that company to this, this fraudster. Um, and I invested in a company called Nomino Data. And Nomino Data supplied AML uh, it's it's boring as rat shit to me, but highly re, you know needed in our world um, that we live in today because there's so much you know there's so much fraud going on. They supply all the boring data to all the big banks and governments um, for any money laundering, and I did really well. The company went up to eight thousand banks around the world using this data. So CEO of the company, so I was the biggest investor, called me one day and said, "I want to sell." put together a plan for me. Let's sell this thing. So I called him back the next morning, Matt. And I said, you know what? We're not going to sell it. We're going to take a page out of the only oldest plan in Silicon Valley. We're going to take that data that's paid millions for by big banks and governments. We're going to shrink it down, put it on a phone and democratize it and give it to everybody. So we all have know who we're dealing with. So, so issues like what happened to me with this fraudster that stole our IP and our company, um, you know, we might be able to just make the world a little better place. So I had delusions of grandeur that we could shrink this data down, add a whole bunch more to it, of course, and make transparency the new norm. I mean, you don't know me. I'm on your show. What if tomorrow you found out I was a really bad dude? You'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe I had this guy on my show. It's going to reflect on me. But what do people do? They go to Google, they go to LinkedIn, which you write your own story. Google's all SEO and suppressed and advertising led, all that. You can't find stuff. Half the stuff's not on there. It's been deleted. You know, reputation companies have pushed it down, blah, blah, blah. So that's how the company started because I got taken advantage of and lost a bunch of money um, and had to hand over the keys to one of my companies because someone took advantage of it. And both of those other companies happened before me and that data was available. But how so the data like you or me get it, right? So the data that you have, is it the same kind of data that um, these other online background check kind of sites use? Or like, where, where does that data come from? And, and like, how does really the data question. you have uh, compare to like other kinds of background checks? Well, that was the genesis of the company. So this AML data, which was mainly around white collar crime, yeah. most of it. So if you're a sex offender, it's not going to show up there. 
So once we built it, and, and the reason that we have to use AI, and I'm answering your question, but the only way I can explain it is, I mean, I've, I've spent over $5 million so far on AI and machine learning, and I didn't know a damn thing about it when we started this company. I had to go hire you know, the people that knew how to do it. Um, and it's because you're trying to find a, a haystack in like needle, like trying to find the needle in the haystack. You've got to find the haystack in the haystack and then find the needle in the haystack. It's a very, very, we have like two and a half billion records in there. You don't just do a SQL search. You know what I mean? It just doesn't work that way. Um, so even though I started with that, just to give you an idea, that was like 18 million records, which sounded like a hell of a lot of records to do a, like a SQL search back then. So we had to have this whole new architecture to do it right. So the big difference is one is the technology to extract the data. Imagine if your name was Chris Smith. I mean, your name as it is, is... You know, there's there's others out there with that name. Yeah, sure. So you can't just do a search. Yeah, Matt but Watson is also a uh, YouTube streamer and a baseball player. Yeah, that'd be hard, right? And if you don't know that much about them, maybe you have their phone number. You know what state they are. Maybe you know what kind of you know what what their age limit is. There's basically three categories of these companies. To come back to the question, there's you know the the novelty ones, and I won't name their names, but we all know that they're there. You can go put a name in and a phone number and they'll tell you where they live and if they're married and all of that stuff. But that's novelty for consumers. Okay. Uh, we have all that same data, but we use it in a different way. And then there's the background check companies that large enterprises uh, hire and pay a lot of money to um, when they're, you know, when they're doing hires and things so they can check on their, on their hires, but it's not really used for much else. The biggest law firm in the world is our law firm because we need to make sure that, you know, even though all the data is curated public information, we have to be assured that, you know, we're not breaking any personal privacy laws. Yeah. This is the top, top company, top law firm in the world. They're, they're, they guided us on, on all of that. I asked them and other law firms what they use. And unless they go pay a background check company, the ones that are really, really expensive, take like two weeks for you to get, you know, a report back on a person. And you have to have a lot of knowledge about them to get that to work. Um, they just go to Google and they look at LinkedIn and then they, you know, they talk to the people they know, right? They talk to people they know and, and word of mouth. But the problem is the people you're getting the word of mouth from, they didn't do their homework either because they don't have access to the tools. So, so how, how are things going with, with the business now? So you, you, like you said, you know, you got millions, billions of data points and you have spent mm -hmm. a lot of money investing in machine learning and all this stuff. How was it going? Where, where are you guys finding success? Like who, who is your ideal customer and use case? Sure. First of all, it took a long time to get the tech right. It was so frustrating. I had to raise more money than I thought. Thank God it's a good business model because we failed to deliver on time because it's so hard what we were trying to do. Now it works. Um, so where the business is now is we're in public beta, but we're, it's limited and we're about to open it up literally next week to full public beta where it'll go out on Google and Android and you and any of your friends can, can download it in the US and in India. Those are the first two countries you're going after. So the good news is it finally works. Um, you know how Waze works where if you see a, you know, a police car or there's mm -hmm. a whole, you know, if there's a, an obstruction or something, we all work together and tell the app and it helps us avoid trouble? Yeah. It took forever to get that to work. So inside the app, it actually asked, like, if we just put in Matt Watson, 
like you say, there's a bunch of other ones. These bots will come up and start asking you questions about Matt Watson that are derived from the quantum of articles that we've curated already that have a Matt Watson in them. So there's, four, you know, there's, there's a lot of attributes that we look for. So ask for age and, you know, like mm-hmm. where you might have worked. We might know where you work or if there's an article about where you got in trouble, we might know where it is or what it was about. But we just ask all these questions. So we start narrowing down. So we're not talking about the Matt Watson that does um, the, you know, the, the other guy that you spoke about that you often get, you know, that get, get. Yeah, get, sure. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that's all, that's all working now. And then what it does is it knows that my Matt Watson, cause I don't know any other Matt Watson, but you. So now anyone that comes in the application later, since I know you and that do that, that verification has already been done. It doesn't have to ask any questions. It's a lot like ways where it'll actually use community learning to go, well, I have Matt Watson's phone number and or email. You have phone number or email. So I know your Matt Watson is my Matt Watson. I don't have to do any of that. I can just notify you immediately when something comes up about Matt Watson, good, bad, or ugly. So um, we have over 900 companies uh, and people that have signed up to get early access to the beta so far. We had to turn it off. Uh, We've got five or six MOUs with large multi-million user system uh, uh, platforms that want to plug us into the platform, like an app and an app. Think of dating, matrimony, uh, uh, financial sites uh, that you know give you financial advice or where you can do financial transactions. Um, it's one of those rare deals where literally everyone that has LinkedIn should have uh, Ferret. And LinkedIn has 700 million users. So would it make sense as a business owner for me to use it to keep tabs like on all of my employees and like weird yeah. things that they yeah. may be up to yeah. that I don't know about or something? Um, yes. It says right in the app when you go in it, you can't use it for hiring because there's, there's so much, uh, there, there's, there's so many legal barriers that we would have to climb to use it okay. for hiring. And you can't use it for housing. Those are the two things you can't use it for here in the US. Um, but absolutely. Think about, you know, if you're running a company... Uh, um, like the bedroom company that, that you guys um, uh, uh, wrote about. Um, you want to know what your competitors are doing. You put your competitors in there. You want to know what all your employees are doing. You want to put them in there. You want to put anyone in there. Remember, it monitors, right? And it mm-hmm. tells you if anything comes up on the three times a day. So on the day, like when it comes out, anywhere in the world, um, if it's something we're plugged into, you're, you're going you're gonna to get that data. Um, and, you know, and then you're going to take it home and use it. So let's say you're away and I don't know if you're married, but, you know, I, I live with my fiance and she, um, uh, if she's home and, and, and the, uh, the water line breaks in the house, you got to have someone in right immediately. You need to know on the minute before you call someone in to make sure that person's licensed. We even know that. Maybe they're a, God forbid, a sex offender, or they beat someone up, or they have, you know, twenty uh, uh, lawsuits against them. You probably want to call the next person on the list. Yeah. So all these light bulbs go off, and you say, "Who's going to use it?" Again, the delusions of grandeur. If we all use it and it has this community learning, and we we accept transparency as the new norm for your deeds and the things that have been written about you that are you know validated from the right sources. Um, 
then we can avoid a lot of bad things happening and also uncover a lot of opportunities. So I, I have a lot more questions for you, but before mm-hmm. we uh, get uh, we get to that, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Um, I'm going to guess you have quite a software team that's helped you build this. Yeah. You, you mentioned you had to invest a lot of money in, in machine learning. Did you uh, did, did it take... Um, probably people that were really good with data science and um, mm-hmm. data analytics and databases and all sorts of stuff to uh, figure out how to build this. It seems like something would be really complicated to figure out how to do. It is so complicated. And and it, it's not like a normal software company that you build where you, you hire a bunch of engineers. Remember, data is king now. It's all about data. But if you can't get the data to the right person at the right time at the right, you know, the, the right level of accuracy, it's just not worth it. You build it wrong, no one's going to come, Right. So, so I've learned a lot of new lessons, both how to do it right and wrong, about how to amalgamate data science and machine learning are very, very different than writing, you know, Python code um, or, you know, hitting a SQL database, if they or else, Boolean logic. These are entirely different um, uh, uh, technologies to meld together. So even at the team level, getting them to work together, they work so differently you know, machine uh, AI data scientists, they're not going to be in a scrum most of the time that's on the same level as, you know, I don't want to go into, I'm sorry to go so deep in the hole, but like I struggled with this, trying to get them to work together because they're coming up with problem different, you know, different. You know, people aspects. that are good at databases and machine learning mm-hmm. and stuff is a different skill set than people that are good at creating totally, software. Totally, totally different. I underestimated know, that, by the way. And I've been a, a software developer for basically 20 mm-hmm. years, but honestly, the part of it I've always enjoyed the most has been more the data side, like databases. Yeah. You mentioned Sybase, which which eventually was acquired by Microsoft and became SQL Server. And uh, it's still, and today it's probably one of the top three database engines in the world, probably. Yeah. And um, I use, I've been using that for 20 years. So I, I knew exactly it. what it was. I knew it was Sybase. I was Sybase selling it before. 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So um, I've always loved the, the data side of it is my point, but it's it's definitely a different specialty than um, For sure. other For other sure. types of of database of software engineering. Yeah. So tell me this: How do you feel like there are a lot of of con artists and scammers out there in this world? Oh my god! So I was asked to write an article in Forbes, uh, which I was very surprised they wanted to hear from me. Uh, I've never published anything that I can recall. Um, and I, it'll be out in a couple of weeks. It's called COVID Cash and Crypto. And in there, I outline, by the way, you don't want to read it if you're in a good mood because it'll put you in a bad mood, what I wrote. But basically what's happened in the last, uh, you know, this era that we just are coming out of right now, I think we're coming out of it where everything's crashing, crypto and NFTs and all this, um, is people let their guard down because of FOMO. Fear of missing out, right? Yep. Um, so, first of all, there wasn't good tools. It's a whole new arena to uh, you know to play in. Um, you know, and COVID threw another whole monkey wrench into the whole thing because we had to change the way we normally do things. So, what does all this add up to? It adds up to the crime rate has gone through the roof, through the roof. The amount of scamming and frauding and all of this and crypto and uh, look at COVID. COVID. Look at all the people 
scammed uh, the government and other businesses during you know the whole COVID yeah, rush. PPP and all sorts of things. A lot of people got taken advantage of a loss and they weren't like, you know, there's no patterns there because it was all new. It was a whole new environment. So um, anyways, I, I wrote an article for Forbes about just how dangerous it is right now or have been in that time. And, and it is now and the lack of tools and accessibility to tools that actually can. If, if you boil it all down, you know, we talk about machine learning and AI and how cool the app is and how it, you know, it does all these magical things. Um, but, but at the end of the day, it's an ROI play. Because there are tools out there that do things, but you'd have to go buy like five or six of them. And you and I aren't going to do that because they're unaccessible. They cost too much. They're meant for companies, not for individuals like us to get the full picture. So we've kind of stuffed like five or six different uh, uh, you know, types of, of tools into one and put it on your phone for $15 to $30 a month. There's even a free version. There's even a free version that does some of the basics. And we're going to be giving some of it away where we can help people avoid dangerous people. We're actually going to be giving that away. Um, so yeah, it's gone way up. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible how much uh, crime there is right now. And of course there's defunding the police going on in different parts of the country. That'll help. So, yeah. That'll really help, huh? That'll so, help. There'll be less scammers and uh, less thieves then. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, I don't want to skim over it. I've already had my 15 minutes of fame. I'm doing this because the social benefit to us all, I want to be remembered for that. No one's going to remember Octane just because it was a big deal. It's ancient history. Um, but if everyone's using Ferret and that community learning is going on and it's doing the work for you, you don't have to do it. Even though you can dive in and you know, do it ad hoc, the world's just going to be a little, the needle's going to move a little bit enough for us to be proud of what we brought to the world. Um, and we're going to make our investors a lot of money in the process for the right reasons, doing good. So do you guys have to worry about any of the data privacy sort yeah. of stuff? Like you have all this data, right? So mm -hmm. what, what do you, how do you have to deal with that part of it? Like, do you, do you specifically, for example, not do business in Europe or something because of like GDPR kind of junk mm -hmm. or like how, yeah. do, how, do you, how do you have to deal with that part of it with all this data? That's what that keeps me about? awake at night, among other things, is the ever-changing landscape of personal privacy, especially in Europe who's leading with, uh, you, you nailed it, the GDPR. Here in the U.S. we have CCPA, which is you know, California leading, which everyone's copying in the rest of the country. Um, but every country <laughs> in the world has some form yeah. of this crap because yeah. when I dealt yeah. with this before it was hard right because it's like you, you've got Europe with GDPR and you got California but then Australia has their thing and everybody else has yeah. their thing and they're yeah. all slightly different yeah. and <laughs> and and the truth is nobody's compliant with any of this shit and I don't think any <sighs> the whole time I don't does any consumer actually go to GDPR and say remove my information? And then does anybody actually comply with it? Like, oh, we actually did. We already did. Like one of our one of our beta testers, who's a you know a big investor, um, he came and said in California, I want you to remove you know all my stuff. And Peter, who runs uh, the tech, said, yeah, no problem. Pushed the button, boom, it was all gone. And the joke around the office when we talk to investors that are coming is that Rob was so worried about personal privacy when he started the company, he hired a law firm before he hired the engineers to build it. And that's the truth. I hired the law firm and started paying them to guide us before we wrote the code. 
So yeah, it's all over it. it. We um, we did so much work at my last company, you know, with GDPR and compliance mm-hmm. and you know all that kind of stuff, and it it was like a, all the talk when it first launched, and then after that, like nobody ever mentioned it again. Like, you know, it's softening up a bit. I think they went the pendulum swung too hard because we needed it. I mean, I won't even go into the. We all know what you know. Some of the big companies that will go unnamed in social media did with our data, you know, and we didn't know. And I, I'm a firm believer in personal privacy. Matter of fact, there's data that we're allowed to show that we won't show because we don't think that it's fair. Sure. So it's an ethical thing. And that guides us a lot, not just the laws, what we can't do, but the ethics around what we're, what we're showing and what well, the context have, is. When they have crazy stuff that goes on in places like China where they use facial recognition and stuff too and kind of know where everybody's yeah. at and where they're going and like all sorts of big brother sort of crazy psycho stuff so yeah that's not us we so the the other the other thing that guides us so call it company culture is we always want to be kind of seen as the you know you know probably laugh but the you know the knight in shining armor on the white horse not yeah. the creepy face recognition cia type uh, yeah. or or even worse so yeah it guides a lot of our decisions um on what we're and we want to give back like i said we're actually going to be giving data away that you don't have to pay for because we think that you know it we have it you don't have it we're going to give it to you your life may you know may be improved as a result and we get to you know expose the app it's not just all altruism it's part of the go-to-market strategy that yeah that's absolutely amazing and i um i think it would be really helpful and things like you said earlier, like online dating or things like care.com where you're trying to hire a babysitter and you don't know who yeah. they are and yeah, exactly. Um, or any yeah. kind of service company, right? Where like people are coming into your house. So all, all those kinds of use cases are great use cases for this kind of technology. Somebody new moves in next door. You want to know who your new neighbors are even worse. Like you, I mean, I have two kids and they're, they just went off to college, but I can't tell you how many times they come home and go, Hey, there's a sleepover at, you know, Joe's house, we want to go tonight. And you're like, who's Joe, you know, and you're like, Oh, Joe's, you know, where does he live? Who are his parents? So, you know, the old way we'd call and make sure that they sounded okay on the phone. And that was good enough. If they sounded okay on the phone, we'd ship our kids off to them, right? Let them spend the night. Well, those days are over. If you have ferret, you go, okay, who's Joe's parents? And you look them up and go, okay, they're, they're cool. You can go, right? But there's going to be reasons why you don't. So think of all the gig economy stuff, like, you know, like, like getting in cars and riding with someone instead of taking a taxi. You don't know whose car you're getting into. And those poor, those poor people have no idea who's getting in the car in their back seat. Right. They yep. could be, you know, they, they could be drug dealer, gangsters, whatever, whoever you don't want in the back seat. They could be, they could have, you could be picking them up outside of the criminal, uh, you know, loony house or whatever, where they let people out back into the, into the world. And you're, you're picking someone up that, you know, might've done something really bad. You can avoid those things. So, So, I mean, do you, do you foresee companies like big tech companies being able to use this kind of, of sort of like rating system for a person, like somebody like Uber, you know, uh, it's like, Hey, you're going to pick up this passenger. Hang on. We're, we know their name and their information. We're going to run them through the database, figure out if we should allow them to even use Uber. We use emojis to give you an idea of what kind of data there's in there. But from the beginning, we made a decision to not score because scoring means you're judging someone. Even if it's algorithmic, it's you're judging someone. So we fancy ourselves as curators of data, but we don't know your context. Yeah. I mean, if you want to sell your house tomorrow, your car, and 
the person, you know, has sold drugs 10 years ago and now they're the, you know, now they're uh, uh, rehabilitated and a nice person. They're doing good things in the world. Um, you may be okay selling them their car, but you might not be okay sending your kid over to their house, you know, go on a vacation with them or something. That's up to you. That's context. So no, we don't score. We never will. We're curators of data. We hand it to yeah. you and you decide on your own what to do with that data. No scoring. Well, once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by FullScale, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Um, reminder to everybody that you can find us on Facebook. Join our, our uh, Facebook group called the Startup Hustle Chat. Um, lots of good conversation in there every week. Um, we like to stir the pot and get people talking and uh, have some interesting conversation. So as we uh, start to wind down the episode here, I was mm-hmm. curious what other kinds of um, uh, tips you have for other entrepreneurs. Obviously, you've done a lot of things, had a lot of success. All in your 20s. I can't believe you're still 29. Um, tell, you know, what, what are the kind of suggestions? Huh? I said, thank God the video is not on. Um, <laughs> what are the kind of suggestions do you have for uh, aspiring entrepreneurs out there? Hey, I've had my share of failures too. I'm not perfect. I've, I've been involved in a lot of deals and there's a couple, there's a couple I would, uh, that I always tell the people I invest in. And, you know, one of them is don't run out of money. doesn't matter if you raise a million, a hundred thousand or a hundred million, you have to treat that money like it's your lifeblood. Because if you run out of it, look, the market's closing right now. If you're a startup and you're running out of cash, the probability of raising that cash right now has just decreased significantly. Always guard your money and don't chase every shiny ball because eventually you will not deliver an app that the market wants. And by the way, there's an article in Forbes that was written that I I thought was brilliant. And it basically gave all the reasons companies fail. 42% of them fail, not because they run out of money. They they, they fail, Matt, because they built the wrong thing and the market doesn't want it. Because they yep. chased the first person that said, I love what you have. Come build this for me. And it's not, you know, it's off the, it's off the, uh, the core uh, uh, vision. And by the yep. way, I've made that mistake. That's why I know. I, I made that I have mistake too. myself. You know, I made that mistake. So it's yep, money. That was the problem. That was the problem with my last companies. We really, we built an amazing platform that really did like five things. But mm-hmm. if we would have picked one of those five, we probably would have been more successful than trying to do all five. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can almost say that we did that with Ferret. Uh, I, I mean, I was way oversubscribed when I went out to raise money for this. The money came so fast. And we did expand our footprint because we kept hearing people wanted more and more and more and more. I probably could have gone to market six months earlier and make money but for the company and get it, you know, it, get it on solid footing. But we, we chose to add more. In hindsight, I probably could have gone to market with less. The, the other one is team. You know, you built, you built a, a couple of companies you know, or a few companies. You know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't have, I call it the round table. If you don't have all your bases covered and there's a weak spot, it will bite you and possibly kill you, right? So if you don't have a good finance person, even though you're all like shit hot tech people and you got a whole bunch of people that want to buy your product, there's all kinds of things that can kill you if you don't have a good ops, you know, finance person. Um, and, and then there's culture. I mean, there's a thousand things, but I'd say those are the top five and I've made all the mistakes and I've done the right a few times, lucky enough, but building the right culture, if you don't get it right in the beginning, it'll kill you somewhere in the middle, getting the right culture of the company, you know, what, what your true ethos are and what you're trying to do. Cause that will attract the right people. Yep. 
people will come to the company because they like the ethos of what you're trying to do. Like yep. my delusions of grandeur, right? I'm trying to make the world a safer place. Well, I appreciate you trying to do so and um, excited to see what, you know, what comes of this as you go from beta to journal availability and, and launch the product and uh, wish you all the best. And uh, um, again, this was Rob today with Ferret AI um, talking about, you know, security and due diligence and uh, trying to identify risk and the people that you're dealing with. And uh, um, thanks again, Rob, for, for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>